powered by Rep Media in partnership with TSN. It's episode 25 of season 5 of the Rain Dregs Hockey Podcast. Presented by our title sponsor, Canadian Club Whiskey, who have introduced the first release of the Canadian Club Invitation Series, CC 15-year-old Sherry Cask. And true to my word, Ray, true to my word, I have sampled it twice. Sampled it twice. Now, the family's coming in for the weekend, uh, obviously, for the Christmas break, the holidays. So you got to save some. You got to sprinkle the infield, make sure everybody gets a taste of this deliciousness and you know, we seem to be updating every podcast, yeah. you know, the, the 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 status of the bottle. So <laughs> what's the 15-year-old cherry cask look like in the Ferraro household right now? Looks like dust. <laughs> it was it so gone? good. It's gone. Oh, so my goodness. Good for Matt, you. my oldest, he came back. Uh, you know, him and his family came back. So we had Matt, Manroop, and the kids, the grandkids back, and Landon's there, of course, so he's waiting due date today for him and his wife yeah, for their first. Exciting. So so those two guys are there, and uh, Danny Heatley was in town. I haven't seen Danny in, <laughs> I don't know, Heater. five or six years. So Heater was in town, and so the four of us sat around, and I looked over, and I'm, I said to Matt, who's always kind of in control of that sort of thing, and I'm like, hey, what are you doing? And he's like, it's good. It's great. I go, yeah, I know. It's also empty. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's like, well, sharing it. It was so good. Everybody's like, oh, this is great. So had four, uh, four evaluations happening in my kitchen at the same time. And I turned yeah. around, honestly, and I was like, it's empty. Yeah. And he, he was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was the whole point. It was delicious. I mean, all kidding aside, it's as good as it gets. It really is. Like, I mean, we're we're not aficionados. We're getting better in our yeah. relationship with CC, but and we've tasted some terrific whiskeys. That whole Chronicle yeah. series, outstanding. But this one is it's uniquely terrific. Yeah, so. it's it, yeah, and like I said, it's empty. It's gone. Speaking of empty, um, did the white shirt? As you're sitting down oh. with John Butchergrass on, uh, I guess, Tuesday night. We're recording the episode here on Wednesday morning. Did the white shirt survive the chicken parm feast? It did. Now, there's a little bit of a story to this thing, right? Okay. So yeah. I'm we're staying in the city. We're staying mm-hmm. in New York City. I've got three Oiler games this week. Tuesday, in, uh, Tuesday on Long Island. Mm-hmm. Thursday in Jersey, Friday at Madison Square Garden. So rather than move hotels, we just stayed in one. So I get an Uber. I think it's about 45 minutes out to the arena, but I'm going to that restaurant, which is about a mile and a half away from UBS Center. Two hours and five minutes. Just traffic. Jammed. So I go to do a hit on The Point, the ESPN hockey show, and Steve Levy says to me, well, why didn't you take the railroad, like the Long Island Railroad? He goes, you're two blocks from from the station, from Grand Central. He goes, it's 20 minutes. I was like, I did not know that. Yeah, well, I'm such an idiot. to tell you that. Well, you, it's not you. You need some directional help. Well, I, I have lived on the island before. I okay, have lived in fair. New York before. I know where Grand Central is. But I, I yeah, I bogeyed that one. And so that is outstanding. the Uber ride out there was $170 and to yeah, come course. back was 54 like after the game. 
But I got through the chicken parm. As soon as I took my jacket off, Bucci goes, ooh, oh. careful. And nah. I, man, I, I got a couple of notes about, um, uh, you know, from guys that they saw the picture about how careful you have to be. Oh, yeah. And one guy said, when he used to eat with his father-in-law, they used to put napkin or they used to put a, a hanky on themselves because of the way he ate because oh, he was boy. so messy. We used to do this. I'm not even kidding with Kevin Deneen. Nobody could make more of a mess than Kevin. And yeah. if he was sitting beside you and you were on his left side, cause he's left-handed Look guys out. would, guys would drape their napkin over their <laughs> left, over their right side because he, you just never knew what was coming out of there. Yeah, it's not the full spill down the front. I mean, that happens. It's an accident yeah. on occasion. It's the splatter that gets you. Oh, oh good for you. Very, very good. Got to tell you, very good. Yeah. Umberto's, very yeah. good. Greg Berube is joining us here in episode 25 of the Rain Driggs yeah. podcast. Man, cutthroat, hardcore business. Four coaches fired this season, just past the 30-game mark for most clubs. So there's a lot to unpack, and we're going to do that now in Tim Horton's headlines. Headlines brought to you by Tim Hortons, where their holiday merchandise is available. How about a snowy Timbits Night 500-piece mm. puzzle or the new limited edition Tim Hortons Winter Blend Fine Grind Coffee? If coffee isn't your thing, then they've got the candy cane hot chocolate mix as well, only at Tim. So Barube will join us in a bit here, Ray, but DJ Smith dismissed on Monday as head coach of the Ottawa Senators, Davis Payne, assistant coach also let go. Jacques Martin, the interim coach for the game uh, uh, last night in Arizona, Daniel Alfredson brought on board, which is an interesting and an expected hire as an assistant coach. No coach bump for the Sens in Arizona. They're up 3-1 going into that third period. They give up three in the third and lost yeah. four, three. And you, you referenced Jacques, I think it was an Ask Gray and Greg segment, maybe two, three podcasts ago, maybe a bit longer. And you just, and this is, this is no, no disrespect to Jacques Martin. You just basically were talking about DJ Smith probably because of a chant. And you said, well, careful what you wish for, <laughs> because if yeah. Jacques gets the helm, the game is going to be played. The commitment is going to have to be different. And that's what we should look for now, right? Well, if if Jacques was looking for any confirmation last night, was it? Yeah, you know, as his view of the game is is from the defensive side of the puck forward, and this is a the goals against and the lack of defensive awareness is been something that's bit Ottawa pretty hard. Yeah, <clears throat> and to change it, you can't change it in one day. And the reason I say, if he was looking for any confirmation, now he can. Yes, you can show clips from before, but you can show clips from now. Yeah, and say on this goal, I want this to happen, and it's not going to be fast. Now I'm I'm looking at the standings here. They got 22 points. Yeah, the season is gone. Yeah, like they are not making up those points. No. There's too many teams and too far to go. What, what I found interesting, though, is that they bring in an interim coach when there are some very good coaches that are available. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but I think you got to take a one step or two steps back. Steve Steos was brought in there as the president. When they decided to make the GM change, 
with Pierre Dorian, Steos took on the interim GM job, yeah. but he was hired as the president. So to me, it seems most likely that the head coach will get hired after the general manager. Even if, if they want one of these coaches, Greg Berube, Dean Evason, Jay Woodcroft, that are out there right now, they're probably going to be available in April and May anyway. Yeah. The general manager they may have their eye on might not be available at this time. Yeah. For various reasons. For it, yeah. And so if indeed they're going to go with that structure of Steos as the president, a new general manager and a new coach, mm. you'd hate to get into the spot of hiring the coach first. Yeah. And now the GM has to take a job where he's already got a coach in yeah. place. Yeah. Well, let me interject there because there are two things. Uh, some believe that the likely general manager is internal, and that's Ryan Bonus, um, who, you know, whether he's ready or not, that's up to Steos and, and Michael Anlauer to determine. But they, they do like their hockey ops group. But I think your point is well made on Dean Avison, Craig Berube, maybe Jay Woodcroft. And, and look, there's a relationship with between Steos and Woodcroft that dates back to Edmonton, obviously. Mm -hmm. But if you're one of those coaches that we've just mentioned here, it's important, isn't it, that the general manager is hired first? Why would you go in there if it isn't Ryan Bonus, right? Now, you know, Craig Berube is getting another coaching job. So is Dean Evason, and likely so is Jay Woodcroft. So I would think that from Ottawa's standpoint only, those three men probably want to wait and just – See what happens in hockey operations first. Well, way back in the day, Dregs, um, the Vancouver Canucks had Alain Vigneault as, as their head coach. Yeah. And he was under contract, and then Mike Gillis was hired as the general manager. Yeah. And it was awkward, and those two guys had to get to know each other kind of in reverse. And as it turned out, it worked really well, and they went to the Stanley Cup Finals Game 7. Mm -hmm. But I would say that was a rarity, not something that would be often repeated and often successful. Yeah. Like, there, there, there's just an awkwardness to that order in the hierarchy. Yeah, yeah. And so Ottawa, like Detroit, like Buffalo, had playoff dreams this year. Mm -hmm. And... Like I said, Ottawa's out. They're done. Yeah. Like they're, you're just not going to get your way back from that. Buffalo and Detroit are as disappointing as or disappointed as they probably are. They're they're still around the mix, mm -hmm. and so that's a, a different spot. But all three all three of those young teams, we thought they were all ready. Yeah, to at least get in the jump. Philly's the one that's in it. Yeah, yeah, which is maybe even more surprising. I, I know the center position is near and dear to your heart for obvious reasons. And I do want to talk about Tim Stutzel in just a minute. But because you bring up Buffalo, I mean, they they went a stretch without two of their top six forwards, right? In Tage Thompson and in Jack Quinn. Their goaltending has been all over the place. But, you know, is it is it those two areas that you think have, have hurt the Sabres the most? Or what is it? Why isn't this team better? Well... <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I start in goal for sure. Um, so Devin Levi has all kinds of potential. Yeah. But to expect him to come in and and be your number one guy and work in some kind of tandem with Eric Comrie and Uka Pekka Lukanen, 
like now you got three inexperienced guys. Yeah. I, I thought a misstep was not signing a veteran goaltender to play 35 games this year, at least. And maybe he gives you more than that. But someone who's been through it before, yeah. you're right that you're not all trying to learn the league and settle down behind a defense that I think is going to be really good. Yeah. But man, they're so young. They're so young. And, and then to compound all of that, they had an amazing year, but a, a great finish to last year. And so expectations externally fly through the roof. The chances are it, it doesn't go step by step by step and that they were going to take a step back this year. I thought they were going to be better or more consistent this yeah, year. Yeah, me too. Um, when your goaltending is erratic, mm. that undermines everything. Yeah. And, you know, Tage Thompson, was he going to get 55 goals this year? Was, you know, was Jeff Skinner going to have another 40 goal year? Or mm. Like those are expectations maybe the public has or fans have. Yeah. But it just doesn't happen that way. And so they've, you know, I'm, I'm looking now, they're, what are they, six points out behind Tampa and Carolina. The, the problem is you keep waiting for Carolina in particular to go on a little bit of a run. Yeah. Can they do that? I don't know. I mean, they, Peter Kochetkov and some guy that was in the East Coast League uh, four days ago were their goalies. Mm-hmm. You know, like there, there's all kinds of unpredictability around a jam-packed division. And I think that's why, Drake's where we got started here, yeah. that's why four coaches have been fired. Sure. Is because it is so jam packed that managers are like, yeah, if we can win five out of six, we're mm-hmm. we're going to climb a little bit, even if it's not much. That's that's what they think it is. So one more thought on Ottawa, and then we'll move on. And I I, I bring it up because I was talking to another coach yesterday and, and just kind of dissecting the Ottawa Senators, and you start picking at some of the stars, right? Obviously, that's mm-hmm. that's what you do, and. You know, has there been a regression in in the play of Tim Stutzel? Well, point-wise, yeah, you could say that. You know, he had a good year last year. He's probably looking at 100 points or more this year. Dynamic young star. But, you know, the coach made a, a comparison, Ray, that's interesting to me. He says it looks like Tim Stutzla thinks he's Connor McDavid, right? He he. Mm. That's the way his brain is thinking. Instead, he should be focused more on what Anze Kopitar is. Now, you're at different realms here. Right? The spectrum is over here and it's over there. But what he what he means by that is Anze Kopitar, through, I would say, the balance of his career, gave his opposition nothing or very little mm-hmm. because he takes pride in that side of what it means to be an elite center. But then on top of that, when he gets opportunity offensively, very often he takes advantage of that. Do you see that how that would that would be tough for a coach, for a player like Tim Stutzlip? Because you want him to develop on both sides of the game. Yeah, I think it's impossible. The Ange Kopitar is six foot three and two hundred and fifteen pounds. Yeah. He's a monster. Yeah. So un- unless you can find a way to hang Stutzla <laughs> by his heels and make him six three, I mean, like it, you. I, I get the, I, I get the idea. The idea is that you would like him to play a more complete game, right? 
than, than he currently does. But to look at somebody that plays completely differently and says, we like a lot of what you do, but we want you to play like that guy. That means a lot of what you like about him, you're asking him to throw in the garbage can. Right. Andre Kopitar can't play like Tim Stutzle either. Right. Because he's not as creative. He's not as quick. He doesn't have as good of hands. But Kopitar is a first ballot Hall of Famer. He is. Yeah. He he took his toolbox and refined it to the point where he knows what he can and can't do. Stutzla doesn't know that yet. Yeah. He does not know that yet. And most young guys um, don't. The only way you do is that you fail and then you say, oh, I can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And that has to, that can come, that comes through coaching. It comes through experience. It comes through success and it comes through failure. The problem with all of that is it takes a little time. Yeah. And nobody goes on the same timeline. Mm-hmm. Some guys learn it right away. Some guys never learn it. And so when you look in, in, in Ottawa, so, you know, Norris, Stutzla, Pinto, that was their center position. Yeah. And Pinto's not there. Stutzla's having some ups and downs. Norris, the same way. They're so young. Yeah. They're so young. And so I go back through the teams that I played on. And if there's not a balance through your center position of guys that can do different things, mm-hmm. you, got a, you got a problem. You're going to get left short change somewhere. Right. And, and Ottawa certainly is. And, and I would say they, they, those young guys need to learn that, and I speak from experience, that sometimes the best play is a little chip off the glass and out. Yeah. Like, it, okay, we got to win 2-1 tonight. We don't have it. It's not. They can't win 2-1. Mm-hmm. Ottawa cannot. Right. Buffalo cannot. And until they can figure out how to do that through failure and experience and they're they're gonna struggle. Like that that just that's just the way the league is. You you just don't have your A offensive game every night, and the harder you push for it, the worse it gets. And they do miss Thomas Shabbat a great deal. He's he's been out most of the season. They're just they're just not the same team when he's when he's not there. This is no easy turnaround for Jacques Martin. No. No. In in Ottawa, it's going to take time. Well, uh, speaking of time, uh, what about experience, leadership, candor? Uh, Connor Bedard has his fifth multi-point game for the Chicago Blackhawks, assists on the first and second goals for Chicago in that 3-2 win over the Colorado Avalanche. In postgame, defenseman Devon Taves of the Avs basically, basically unleashes and just calls it like he sees it. It's, it's self-awareness. We need guys that know, you know, know how to play in our system, how to how to play our game, and, and know what it takes. And uh, if we have guys in here, I think we got some guys that think they're playing well, and I think they're kidding themselves at this point. It's it's frustrating to play with, uh, you know, play out there when when you got guys that think they're playing well and, and they're doing things that you know you have no idea what play they're going to make or, or where they're going to be on the ice. And uh, it's it's tough to play in this league when when you don't know where your teammates are going to be. So. Um, you know, that's where a lot of the frustration stems from. 
So I'm going to, this, this is an assumption, but I believe it because I, I believe in the honor of the hockey player here. Um, Taves probably would have said that in the room before the camera got in front of his face, right? I mean, if he's, he's not calling out one specific player, but he's not saying that to the media without saying it directly to the guys that he's talking about. Fair? Well, yeah, I, th- I think that's probably been discussed internally, but what really struck me there, um, have you had the chance to talk to Devon? No, I haven't. Seems like a he real is- smart guy. He is, but he's really um, kind of understated, mm-hmm. like kind of the way he plays. Yeah. Um, you know, he's not getting up and making speeches three times a week in the room like that. So for when I saw that clip, I was like, that that would have a impact of a sledgehammer because yeah. it came from him. Now, if it came from Nate McKinnon, it's different because Nate's emotional and yeah. he he's likely to say that to come from Taves. It, it's, it's really noteworthy. Mm-hmm. And so here's the bat. So they've got guys that won the Stanley cup. They've got a bunch of new players. I think they miss Gabe Landeskog enormously because that's, that's someone that holds people accountable in the way he can do it. Yeah. It's why he was their captain. It's why they miss him so much. But the fact is you don't have him and you're not going to have him. Mm-hmm. And Colorado is a, you know, is a pretty good team. They're, you know, I mean, their top end is amazing. Really amazing. Rantanen, McKinnon, McCarr yeah. are, you know, I mean, they're, they're on another planet, those guys. So as frustrated as they are, I'm just looking now. They got 40 points. They're tied with Dallas for first place, although Dallas has a couple games in hand. You know, it's not terrible, but they have an expectation internally yeah. that might not be met by some of the players that are there. And, like, there's been inconsistency through that team most of the year. Yeah. And and it can be a much better team. Um, it, it I did find it interesting that, you know, when they traded Thomas Tatar the other day to Seattle, that frees up a little more cap room. And not coincidentally, they're getting into room that might fit Lindholm from Calgary. Mm. Like they, they're looking for a second line center. For sure. Yeah. And and that they brought in Ryan Johansson and hoped that four million bucks he could be that guy. I, I yeah. don't think he is. Mm-hmm. And man, they would they'll be they'll make a move if they think it can flip them into another another level of contenders because you're not just going to make the move to pick up six points in the standings you're making a move that's going to be costly because you think you've got a real chance okay a couple of more here in tim horton's headlines ray nikita kucherov and the Tampa Bay lightning getting enough love i mean kucherov no. scores two again last night six one route over st louis so he has 10 points in five games, and it's almost like because of the success story that the Lightning are, because of how dominant Nikita Kucherov is when he's healthy, we just go, ah, ho-hum, just, <laughs> just another night of right. brilliance for Nikita. I, um, is it possible to be wildly underrated <laughs> and, 
and and be someone like Kucherov. I he is an amazing player. Mm-hmm. He is he's agile. He's creative. He's tricky. He can shoot the puck. Um, already over twenty goals uh, on the season. Uh, their power play runs through his hands as much as you want to talk about anybody else. I, I think Nikita Kucherov is their most important player mm-hmm. next next to Andre Vasilevsky. And I think he's underrated. I, I think he's an amazing player. He's also, and I kind of like, he's sneaky dirty. He's he sneaky is. Dirty. Oh, yeah. He's, he's not shy. <laughs> and, um, you know, maybe this is talking a little bit about our interview that that we're going to have with Craig that we just that we pre-taped but mm-hmm. he talks about skill guys and when the playoffs come around and when someone gets in your face you have to perform mm-hmm. and Kucherov is one of those he's not a big guy but I'm telling you you are not pushing that guy out of the game excellent uh, and and look I, I I like the story of the Tampa Bay Lightning not just because of the winning pedigree just from top to bottom. I mean, Julian Brisebois, again, a guy probably doesn't get enough credit. You know, he, he's got the support of ownership to be as creative as he can be. And that's why Tampa Bay is, is always right in there. Um, okay. Let's wrap up headlines with the Oilers. And you don't have to do a full dissection of, of what you saw last night as we record here Wednesday morning. And you know what? Maybe by Friday when we do our final episode before the Christmas break, we have more to work with here. The Oilers are 27th in the NHL. They're seven points out of a wild card spot. On insider trading on Tuesday night, Ray, I suggested the possibility of packaging Philip Broberg, who's in the American League, and logging big minutes, 25 to 27 minutes. Mm-hmm. He couldn't get in the lineup in Edmonton because they're in a win-now mode. But would you use him as a sweetener to entice a team to take on Jack Campbell's contract? You know, So then you... You free up some space, and that allows then Kenny Holland to add whatever piece he thinks he needs to get this team back on track or to give them more sustainability. Well, whether it's – if you do that, so say you attach Broberg to Campbell, that gets you back a player. Like Yeah. Yeah. A player. It could. That also leaves you still – like I mean a real player, not, not a fringe guy. Right. Um, because it would be probably, it might be somebody in the last year of their contract, almost like a rental. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be the trade-off of mm-hmm. taking the money of Campbell for the potential of Broberg. That also leaves you still with your first round pick. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I, I'm looking at seven points back and can they make it up? Yes, probably. Will they? Well, they've got some real holes. And I know people like to look at their defense, but they're short at one forward for sure, maybe two. So their third line center is Ryan McLeod. He's got two goals this year. One of them's into an empty net. He's playing on a line now with Connor Brown, who doesn't have a goal yet this year. Hmm. Wow. Warren Fogle hasn't sco- has got one goal in 23 games. He's playing with Leon Dreisaitl. Like, so a bunch of players that they thought would be in the 12 to 15 goal range are in the zero range. Mm-hmm. Evander Kane's got one goal in 13 games. Mm-hmm. So to me, when I look at the Oilers, they need, 
They need forwards more than they need defense. They need somebody to solidify their goaltending. So they lose 3-1 last night. Um, first 10 minutes, they looked amazing. Dreisaitl scored in the first shift. Their first shot, they don't score again. Um, they're up one nothing. Um, they give up a power play goal. And it's a shot that Skinner should stop, but it trickles through him and Anders Lee tucks it in from, you know, from the goal crease. Then they give up another power play goal. Then they give up a shorthanded goal. And in 20 minutes, the game's gone. Yeah. And so it seems like that was a microcosm of what their year's been. You can see what should be there. Yeah. And then it falls apart for 20 minutes. And now they're in the spot there. You look at, they're like, they got to climb some teams here. Like Arizona doesn't appear like they're going away. They're going to be a problem. Nashville got thumped last night, but you know, they've had a really good run, but the teams between Edmonton and there, like, can they jump Seattle? Yes. Can they jump Minnesota? Yes. Calgary, St. Louis? Yes. Yeah. Like they can get there. And so that makes your scenario seem not far-fetched, like not like a yeah. made-up, yeah. hey, what if this happened and that happened? And right. Like it seems like a logical thing to think about. Those are your headlines. Thank you to Tim Hortons. Our interviews on Ray and Dregs brought to us by Canadian Club Whiskey, who have introduced the first release of the Canadian Club Invitation Series, CC 15-year-old Sherry Cask, all the hallmarks of classic Canadian club with the added richness and sweetness of Sherry. You know, Ray, over the last five seasons, we've been fortunate to uh, draw some big-name guests on the Ray and Driggs podcast, and here's another one through, I would describe trying circumstance, I think, when you're an NHL coach, and then you become an ex-NHL coach. That's That can be trying. So, Greg Barube has taken some time to join us on the podcast, and Greg, just over a week since you were let go as head coach of the St. Louis Blues, now leading up to it, I got to believe that y- y- you get the sense, right? And it's not just because of wins and losses, although it can boil down to that in some cases. But did you have a feeling that your time in, in St. Louis was about to come to an end? Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, especially like, you know, you go into uh, Columbus and then Chicago and you lose those two games. And, you know, things are, you know, you're where you're at. You need to win those games. Those are winnable hockey games. And, and then we come home and you lose to Detroit at home. I mean, you think about it a little bit, but, you know, it really doesn't, you know, cross my mind that much. I'm just trying to focus on the games and what we got to do to, to win hockey games. So, but you do have a little bit of a feeling that it could come to an end for sure. Do you, do you coach any different? Do you, like, how do you present yourself that you don't feel that so the guys don't start to smell it too? Yeah, I don't think I, I coach any differently. I don't think I go in there and act any differently. I mean, I just, you know, I'm I'm the same, to be honest with you. Like, I don't, nothing changes there for me. And to, I don't coach any differently. Like, I, I do what I think was is best for the team at the time. And I'm trying to do the right things to try to win hockey games. And that's it. When, uh, when you first got into coaching, you know what? I think for a lot of us that played against you that didn't know you, we're like, really? How's, how's, how's this going to go? Hell, I was scared to go within eight feet of the red line. If I lost my puck, I figured, man, there's in warm-up, there's more pucks down here. I'm not going over there. How did you get into it? Like, what were you always interested in it? 
Not really. I think uh, my last few years with uh, Dale Hunter in Washington, we really, I mean, he's, Dale just wanted to watch hockey all the time and talk about hockey. And we, we became real good friends and still are. And so I think, you know, that's where I kind of started thinking about what am I going to do after hockey? Cause I know that he, he wanted to get into coaching after hockey. And obviously he, um, you know, runs that junior team and uh, they've been very successful. So I think that's when I really started to get dialed in with the hockey and, and maybe get into coaching after, you know, because when I was done playing and it was, you know, I thought, well, what am I going to do after I'm done playing? I want to stay in the game at, um, somehow it's in some capacity. And I think that was the best, best way for me. You know, I, um, I'm a locker room guy. I like being around the team and, and, uh, you know, that's where I fit in. And I think just being with Dale and um, watching all that hockey and, and talking about it, you know, I really learned a lot about the game. Now, you know, I may, I joked a little bit about it, but how do you change perception with people that they think of you as, you know, one of the toughest players to ever play to someone that can coach? Like, I, yeah. it, it seems like a big leap, but it doesn't seem like a big leap when a skill guy wants to coach. Like, hmm. how do you know he's going to be any good? Yeah, I think, you know, you look at um, a lot of, like, really skilled or great players, a lot of times they don't really become very good coaches or really get into coaching. Mm -hmm. I think it's hard for them because they did things in the game that came easy to them. And I think it's hard for them to coach when the other players aren't able to do that because it came so easy to them. But for me, none of it came easy. And I have to really study the game and understand the game. And I think I understand players, you know, really well and what they're capable of doing. And I, and I try to just, you know, focus on what their calling cards are in the, in, in, in the game and what they should do night in and night out to be good NHL players. Like, um, and, you know, on talking about that, Ray, like, to be honest with you, I, I, I saw a lot of hockey over my time as a player and I really watched a lot of things that went on and I, I learned the game, you know, by watching it. And like I said, when to, to, to get to the next level to coach um, after I was done playing, I had some real good mentors. Johnny Stevens, uh, when I mm. went to the Flyers, mm -hmm. was coaching there and I learned a lot under Johnny and a lot under Hitch, who was coaching there too. And... Um, you know, I think having those guys um, as mentors when I was young uh, really helped me a lot. Well, you reached the highest level, Craig, as a head coach in the National Hockey League. You're a Stanley Cup champion. So for those who don't understand what it takes, um, is it a combination? I mean, it's a variety of things, of course. The recipe is complex. But is the biggest part both the makeup of the roster and the commitment needed from the players? Yeah, both. I think your roster is very important. I think if you look at the last four or five Stanley Cup champions and you watch the games real closely, you look at how hard they competed and played and the predictability of their game. Um, I don't know if that makes sense to you guys, but if you want to win a championship in the National Hockey League, there's a certain formula to it. And you have to have size and grit, in my opinion, to get that done. And you have to be highly competitive for two, three, two and a half months at least. 
and it's it's a it's it's a it's a hard process like it's a grind it's a day in and day out and um but i truly believe that playing a predictable hard four checking defensive game is what really gets it done in the end in the playoffs and so without getting into any detail does that become harder as the players get younger and um, look at the game in a different way. I'm, I'm thinking about Cairo, of course, who mm-hmm. I, I think he probably didn't answer the way he wanted to answer, but he didn't really mean what he said. And then he was stuck. And then, yeah. you know, but like, does it become harder as the guys see the game a little different and the game changes because at the core of it, it's really not that different. No. And I agree with you. I mean, I think it's just, they, they need time. Like when they're coming out of junior or college, and they're they're young and they're skilled and they put up a lot of numbers in junior and college and they come to the NHL. It's a totally different animal, but they still are trying to perform the way they performed in junior and college. And it takes time to get them bad habits out of their game and get them to play a predictable game. And it's got to be two hundred feet. It's it's really important to be to play two hundred feet. You got to check and you got to do the right things. And you know, when the playoffs start, it becomes real hard. Like it's tight, it's physical. And when you're confronted and um, when you're in those battles as a skilled player, that's where you need to perform your best Mm -hmm. because it's, you're, you're going to get confronted and you're going to be in those battles night in and night Mm -hmm. out, almost every shift. There's not going to be any room and that's where you got to perform. And that's where you got to come through throughout the year. There's games night in and night out where, the checking's not very good. It's not very confrontational. Um, you know, with 82 games, it's hard to have that compete night in and night out. So those, those, some of those guys can get by and, and score and do, do some good things and put numbers up. Did, did but, Jordan – yeah, go ahead, Craig. Go, no, no, that's fine. Did, did Jordan reach out to you? Because Ray is right, man. I mean, it was an emotional time for everyone. Yeah. Yourself, the players, he got caught in a moment – um, you're a very popular figure in St. Louis. The fan base reacts by bu- by booing Jordan Cairo, and then he gives a very emotional explanation post game. Did did you communicate, or did he reach yeah, out? Yeah, he after? reached out for sure. And listen, I got no issue with it. He got caught off guard and didn't know what to say. And no. he, he's young, you know. A lot yeah. of these young guys get asked questions at the time, and um, they're just they're not thinking like they should think, you know. And yeah. it's tough for them. And uh, but I was happy for Jordan. He came back and had a good game against uh, Dallas. A good, a very good team. So he yeah. performed well, and uh, he'll be fine. So now you've been out a week. Um, are you watching all the time? Are you taking a breath and catching <laughs> up with family? Are you thinking about oof, maybe what could come next and how yeah. soon you want next to come? No, and I, it's hard. Like I, I have, I do watch. I mean, I'm, I'm a hockey fan, so I'm always watching games. I had three of them going on last night, watching <laughs> and just seeing what's going on. You know, um, family for sure. You know, I think uh, being away, it's you know this time of year too. I'm, I'm, I'm spending lots of time. I just got back a couple of days ago, but I'm going to spend time here with the family and relax. And then, um, you know, we'll see what happens. I'm, like again. I want to make sure that I'm 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 going to get back into a good situation, um, a good organization um, that's going in the right direction. Um, that's really important for me. 
Now, I, I'm going to shift a little bit to your hockey, unless Drake's has another coaching thing, but about your career. Uh, Kevin Sawyer is a good buddy of mine. I, I know him from, you know, from Christina Lake. We had summer places to, nearby. I see this video and I come across it, and every so often it pops up again. It's um, You're playing for Calgary, and yeah. there's some shenanigans around J.S. Shaguer, and so Kevin decides that the best way to get it is to get back at the, and stir some shit up is to flip the puck in on your goalie and then run over your goalie. And, and, when he, and the sec, he tells me the second he hit the goalie, he knows that his gloves got to come off because he's not real sure who's coming, but you're, you're going to be out there eventually. But my favorite part, I want you to tell the story, but my favorite part is right at the end after there's been, multiple well there was a five on five but then there was less players and there was a four on four and then there was and somehow they get you in the penalty box but don't kick you out of the game until there's about so just tell the end of that story if you would because it's mayhem for about 30 minutes yeah i mean i we were losing i don't know four or five two to anheim and i went out and i hit jaguar i think or did something like that punched a couple guys. I think I ended up getting like four minutes in penalties or I don't know what I got, but there had to be a whistle for me to get out of the box for, I can't remember the whole thing and how it went down with the rules. But again, like you said, Kevin come out, I think it was like a chef later and ran Bernie right through the net. (laughs) And then there was a couple more like, you know, guys fighting and brawls. And I looked over at the bench at one point, I think I saw four players over there. And one of them was Mark Savard. <laughs> he was still sitting on the bench. I go, that figure. Savvy's not going to get into any fights. <laughs> no, anyways, no, he's smarter um, than that. So there had to be a whistle for me to get out of the box. And Dave Lowry knew this. And so uh, Pi, we called him, it was his nickname. He flipped the puck into the stands on purpose. So there was a whistle. <laughs> I got out of the box. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I think Greg Gilbert was the coach. And he just pointed, stay on the ice. So I lined up beside Jeff Friesen. It was in the offensive zone. And he looks at me and he goes, Chief, there's been enough of this. I'm like, I don't think so, Freeze. I mean, (laughs) the coach told me to stay out here, so I got to do something. And he just took off, and I had to track him down. He could fly, right? took me a bit to catch him. (laughs) And then I just – we started another little melee or whatever. It was pretty funny. When when the puck hits the ice – Freeze starts backing up like yeah. he's going. Like it's not yeah, like just he's meand. He's like this is. There's not enough guys to look for help on the ice. <laughs> and, was it? Oh, it was. It the maybe the best part of that whole video is, it's like all or a lot of our careers were same vintage. Is could they have turned a light on? I mean, it's like we're the Flintstones out there. It's so dark and grainy. It's unbelievable, eh? Good old hockey, them days. Yeah, those days are are, are long, long gone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So now, um, Dean Evason's a good friend. Um, He's been on the podcast before. He's, you know, like you, a good man and a good coach. And, you know, things came undone in Minnesota. And he said the next day, we did some interview, and he's like, no, I want to coach right away. Yeah. Yeah. You know, why do I need time off? Like, would you, in short order, if somebody came poking around, would you be wanting to jump right in, or do you want to take a bet? Well, like I said, I think you got to – I want to coach again for sure. But 
at the same time, I, I got to listen and see what's going on. You know, I can't, yeah. I think mm. just jumping into something just to jump into something. I, I just want to be careful there. Um, like I said, I want to go and work with good people for sure. Um, and an organization that's going in the right direction. That's the most important thing. Excellent. Well, what's the outpouring? You know, we've talked a little bit about the history, your friends, the battles that you had, all that. One thing we know about the coaching fraternity, the hockey world in general, is it's a close-knit. It's a tight group, right? So yeah, safe to assume in the past week and change, you've received countless text messages, phone calls, all of it. Yeah. The coaches and um, people in, in, in um, the business are like you said, it's a close knit group and they care. Um, I've gotten tons of uh, texts and calls from coaches and opportunities to go and um, sit with their teams and and just wow. kind of be around them, which is is great. And I, I'm looking forward to that too. Like you know, to go and spend some time with some of the coaches and their teams and being around them. Um, you know, that means a lot. It means a lot, and I'm looking forward to that stuff. Excellent. Well, we'll leave it at that, mm-hmm. Craig. Thanks very much for joining us Uh, on to bigger and better things. And that's going to be hard to accomplish given all the success that you had on the bench with the St. Louis blues. So happy holidays. Yeah. You too, guys. St. Louis was a great spot. Um, You know, I'll never forget that, that place. And it's a special place. It really is like for people that don't know St. Louis, the town, the people, the organization, it's, it's a real good spot. So. You guys have a good holidays. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Awesome, Chief. All the best, eh? Merry Christmas. Yeah. Ah, One of the good guys, Ray, and we're surrounded by him in the National Hockey League, both past and present. Uh, I just, again, you get nothing but honesty when you have a conversation with Craig Berube. Directness, you got that multiple times when you're doing your broadcast meetings with a former coach of, of the St. Louis Blues. He just tells it like it is, right? And he's not going to change now that he is an ex-NHL coach. But based on that resume, both as a player and as a very successful NHL head coach, he can afford to be as patient as he wants to be, right? Correct. I I think it's important, too, that as much as coaches, some of them, when they get let go, they want to coach right away because that's all that they know. Yeah. If they take a little bit of time, they can – reflect on what went right and what didn't go right. They can take that to their next job, but mentally as well, they can just refresh and re-scrub yeah. a bit. I, I don't think, I'll just say that, you know, when I took a step back a couple of years ago from my schedule, I didn't realize how tired I was all the time. Mm-hmm. And then until you take that step back, you, you just don't realize. I don't think a coach realizes how much pressure they're under all the time. And and I'm not talking about pressure from the media or the fans. It's like their their job pressure. You need a lineup. Somebody's injured. You got hey, can we call up this guy? No, we don't have cap space. Okay, I gotta rejig the power play. I've got to move around some penalty. Like it's always going. You talk to a coach. It's crazy. You, you rarely talk about anything other than hockey. Yeah with the coach, because if you ask about their golf swing, they say, yeah, it's pretty good. Okay. And what about our, like, (laughs) it's never out of their brain. And so I, I think it's really important to just take a deep breath. And uh, one great example drags is John Tortorella. Hmm. Remember when he got fired in New York the next year, like instantly he took the job in Vancouver. 
yeah. and it was a disaster. And then he took some time away and kind of rediscovered himself and coaching again. And now yeah. you hear all these players saying, gee, like Rasmus Ristolainen said this week, I wish I had him as an 18-year-old. Yeah. You know, like his whole way has changed and has been able to refresh. Mm-hmm. Torts had a great answer, by the way. He's like, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but I think that's important for like for Craig and for Dean Evison and Jay Woodcroft, as much as they might want to just like jump right back in that yeah. sometimes a, a little breather doesn't hurt. Well, thanks to Craig Berube for joining us on the podcast. Uh, reminder, we've got a special edition of Ray and Dregs on Friday. It's the pre-holiday edition. And I think we're going to dedicate at least the majority of it. Let's see how the headlines pour out. But to ask Ray and Dregs anything. So you can send us your questions on Twitter and Instagram at Ray and Dregs or on the website rayanddregs.com. You're on the road, uh, New York, New York area. You're just grinding it out this week prior to the holiday break, Ray. Well, I, I was really excited in October when I saw that I had the three games, three Oiler games together because you do three games in four days. You don't have to go anywhere. And then as it's coming up, I'm like, I don't, I don't even know how the hell I didn't know this, but I'm like, oh, it's the week before Christmas. <laughs> right? Like, it's the yeah, same well. time every year. It's not like it's a surprise. And uh, so I, I got a little scrambling to do here. I, I'd like to say I was prepared, uh, shopping wise, and yeah, you're not. Eh, no, so you, you, that's a little bit your, of today. You do your best under pressure, though. You'll be fine. You'll be. Fine. Yeah, I'll be like. Um, I, I know you live in a different part of the country, but otherwise, I would see you in the mall on late on the twenty third and fourth. Oh, hold on. So you're not an Amazon shopper, like you're not. Nah, uh, you know what? I do like the mall. I do like yeah. the mall. I like the. I like the music. I like most people that are in yeah. there or. It, it's usually crowded in the same four stores, all yeah. men, all scrambling. And yeah. uh, but I, I kind of, I kind of like it. I like it. Like I know what I need, and I like it. You know. So I, we have a bit of a. I was going to use the word strange, but that's not fair. Um, Mason's girlfriend Kaylee. So her parents, her family live like half a block from the home studio here, right? Mm. So just for convenience. <clears throat> They've extended an invitation to get together on Christmas Eve. Oh, nice. Yeah, well, I, I'm just, I don't know. They're good people. We've socialized in the past. That feels really formal to me. Oh, you know, the family's okay, where are they together now. Where are they? <laughs> you need to check with Mason on this. Oh, no, he, he's, he, he's well aware. And no, it's all does he does he Does he understand the implications of acceptance of this? Yeah, like I mean, it's 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 a lock, you know. Now, yeah, I mean, like you're moving way down the road here. <laughs> nah, they've been together for I don't know three, four years. So, we're yeah, that's nice. I mean, Does he understand the implication? <laughs> I, I, I hope so. I I've, I've kind of distracted him because he's like me. He enjoys barbecuing and he likes cooking. So I've distracted him with the hey, we're doing something different for Christmas dinner. We're gonna do the half turkey, which is the coolest thing for me. It's literally yeah. like a turkey cut in half. The whole, you know, cut. It's awesome. It's not, not that cool for the turkey. Yeah. Go ahead. No. And a tri-tip. So a nice tri-tip on the smoker. 
and the half turkey. So that's how I'm, I'm distracting him. He's going to give recipes on how we can marinate the, the tri-tip and all of those things. He's not even thinking ah. about Christmas Eve. I've got him focused on Christmas dinner. So that's shrewd. Yeah, you know what's going right to, yeah. You know, what's going to happen though. What's his <laughs> what's girlfriend's that? name? Kaylee. Yeah. She's going to ask 14 times and then all of a sudden he's going to go, he's going to forget the tri-tip. And he's going to say, I have other focuses here, Dad. What are we doing on Christmas Eve? I'm going to wear my boy's medium T-shirt to Christmas Eve. <laughs> I'm not gonna, it's going to be a spectacle. You're going to look like Chris Farley. <laughs> anyway, that's what I'm looking forward to uh, heading into the weekend. So awesome. travel safe, my friend. Travel safe. Um, and... Are we gonna? So you'll be back in Vancouver on no? Uh, I'll Friday? be. I'll still be here. I'll be. Okay. Uh, I'm here so long. <laughs> Tammy's actually sending a couple Christmas gifts to the hotel. Stop. Yeah, for me to bring back. I guess she found them somewhere that delivers quick here, but not. Oh. Won't get the, and so I'm like, I'm like, oh, all right. So. <laughs> so much for that. Well, now you have to check the bag. It's not a no, no. Home. Why? Oh, drinks. Oh, they must be smallish me? gifts. Oh, I'll get it. Doesn't matter. It could be a basketball blown up. I'll get it in that carry bag. <laughs> that, that's, there's, there's no question. Awesome. All right. Well, I'll look forward to checking in on Friday and uh, we'll uh, dive into Ask Grand Drakes. How does that yep. Have a good week, everybody. We'll talk to you then. You bet. Thanks to our sponsors who continue to make the podcast possible. Our title sponsor, Canadian Club Whiskey and Tim Hortons. And As Ray says, thank you for listening, for rating, for sharing, and for following us on our YouTube channel. Till next time, stay safe and happy holidays, everybody.